poets and intellectuals of this time. The innovative minds. The intelligentsia. Those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers. The revolutionaries. Those living apart from this big unrest. Those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original, and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for the next hour. On today's show, it is with great pleasure that I present One by One, an Anzac radio play by Gary Lewis, directed by Mike Rosso from the Drill Hall Theatre Company and produced by the Bohemian Beat with assistance from SAE Creative Media Institute in Byron Bay. The play is set in 1917 in France and Belgium during the First World War, where Victor, a young Australian Imperial Force soldier, and his best friend Colin are serving along the Western Front. The play, although fictionalised, is based on the experiences of the author's father as an infantryman in the Great War in France and Belgium. The play revolves around letters between the author's father and grandmother. Northern France, 1917. In murky pre-dawn light, the sporadic stutter of rifle and machine gun fire interrupts the growl of heavy artillery. Dawn exposes a bleak, windswept battlefield crisscrossed by trenches and flooded craters where men from all corners of the earth huddle, friend and foe alike, awaiting orders to charge like savages and kill each other. In one of them is my father, reading a letter from my grandmother. My darling boy, trusting you will find some little comfort in this parcel and that I send you the right things. Let me know what you really require and I will do my best to send them to you. I do hope, my dear, that you do not want for anything, for it would grieve me very much. Wary of reckless emotions on the eve of battle, Victor reads guardedly detached, as if they come from somewhere other than his mother's heart. Above all, my boy, do not get downhearted, for I know that God will look after you and bring you back to me once more. That will be the day. I live for it, nothing else. So look after yourself, my darling. Keep a stout heart. And trust in God, and all will be well before long. So I will still pray on. May God bless and keep you safe till we meet again. Good night and good luck, my own darling son. 
with tons of love and kisses from a loving mother. P.S. Flannel flowers, baronia, kangaroo paw, gum leaf enclosed. The pansies and Canterbury bells are out of Auntie Bella's garden. From the parcel, Victor plucks a bundle of dried gum leaves and catching the scent of eucalyptus, his eyes dampen. P.P.S. Father sends his love. Father sends his love. That's it. He studies a photograph she has sent. That's Mum, all right. Decked out in a favourite outfit. Scarlet skirt, white blouse, blue knitted shawl, white leather belt Dad gave her for a 40th. Red, white and blue was the Union Jack. Brazen Lancashire eyes accosting me, the hint of a smile on her lips, more stubborn than warm. Wrestling with that mightiest of enemies, disillusionment, mind 10,000 miles away, Victor glances up at a jagged grey dagger of sky slicing the lengths of the trench, and all the old doubts about enlisting start gnawing again. Fighting this inner war, he studies his comrades, huddled around pot stoves, smoking, playing cards or staring vacantly at trench walls. Faces still young, but hard and gnarled, older than their years. I must look like that, but maybe not so quite hard-boiled yet. He gazes at his lifelong friend Colin, who's reading his way through a wedge of letters from home. Look at him. God-fearing king and country Colin. Kindness itself. A man of unbending faith, ready to lay down his life for maker and monarch. Col reckons God willed this war to cleanse the world of evil and bring a kingdom of heaven to earth. I love him dearly, but there are limits. Not his piety, I admire that. But his persistent attempts to woo me back to religion really great. And God knows I wish he'd stop. Have I made a complete mess of things? I wish I could share your faith, Col. But I can't, no matter how hard I try. And why does Mother tell me to place my trust in God to end the war? Does she think it's all so hopeless, only divine intervention can do it? Then what are we fighting for, huh? I can just see the telegram arriving on the kitchen table. Dad and the sisters sobbing, but not Mother. Mother would salute the flag and put on the kettle, crying later when no one was watching. A slight matter of guilt to deal with. Or am I being unfair? Yes, I can't blame Mother for me being here, though God knows I try. The truth is I didn't have the guts not to enlist after Colin signed up. The boys would never have respected me. Not even Colin. And no way I was going to let him go without being there to look after him. Anyway, could be doing the right thing like Mother says. Honour thy God, serve the King, salute the flag. Could be like Colin says, the day of reckoning, a war to end all wars, a baptism of fire introducing a new and perfect civilization on earth in the image of God. Come off it. This is your world now. This hole in the ground. There's nothing more and never will be. These blokes are your family and the future. The future is breakfast. Folding his mother's letter and ramming it into his top pocket, he touches Colin's shoulder, comforted to see someone he loves still there, still close, and thinks. I might be in the most dangerous game in the world, mate, and a prisoner of the same madness as you with no way out until it's over, one way or the other, but you're everything I believe in now. I worship every minute I spend with you, every second of life we share, 
a privilege. Pressed so hard to the ground I can taste France. I wriggled into position along a white tape, hard hammering, terrified in a cold sweat. But the boys must never know. What'll I do when the order to advance comes? Freeze or go forward to do my duty? Of course I'll do my duty. I'll never let the main stand. Concentrating so hard I don't do something silly. I call out involuntarily, sneeze, doze off and alert the enemy with a bugling snore. It does happen. I hear prayers all around me, dripping from devout lips and even from sun not no normally given to the Lord. Do I pray now? Two bob bed each way? No, hypocritical. But I promise to be fair and honest with everyone I meet. And if God exists, he'll hear me and understand. And if he doesn't, and I don't get through this, well, no harm done. As one, the men burst from the trench, and crouching and bobbing in thin morning light, sprint behind a furious barrage of shells, creeping toward the enemy line side by side, loyalty to each other and some superhuman energy propelling them forward, expecting to be whacked by a blizzard of metal any moment. What's happening, Snow? How come they're so accurate? They're onto us, Cole. Fritz only abandoned this position a while ago and knows exactly where we are. Squadron upon squadron of shells rained down. The heaviest shelling I've ever experienced. Worse than bully court. Hellish. The noise is deafening. The force overwhelming. Nothing can withstand this violence. The guilty, the innocent, or even Mother Earth herself. It's diabolical. I'm staring into Satan's eyes. Every notion of humanity annihilated. Hatred rules supreme. Oh dear God in heaven. Please guide the brass hats. Tell them what you want them to do. Give them the wisdom to make the right decisions. Still, nothing will strike me. Dear God, you know I don't believe it. Please, make it end soon, please. Whoever you are, whatever you think of my pathetic prayer and hypocrisy, make it end soon, one way or the other. Here they come, hundreds. <laughs> From over the crest above, long lines of enemy troops suddenly appear, charging straight at the battalion. The men dive for cover in shell craters and open fire. But still they come. These poor sacrifices to the Kaiser's hubris, hurling their bodies into our murderous fire. I see men going to grass to my fire, and my fire alone. It's my duty, Fritz, you helpless pawn. Caught up in the same insane game as we. I'm sorry, but I must. All that matters now is stopping you, being crazier and more ruthless than you, prevailing. Exhausted, they take shelter in a sunken road, Victor trying to make sense out of what he's just done. I can't believe it. There's disappointment on the faces of some of the newer boys, mad keen for more bloodletting. How quickly war turns us into brutes. He tries to sleep, but can't, and it's not the lice this time too churned up. To calm himself, he composes a letter to his mother in his mind. 
Dear Mother, as far as the eye can see, no man's land is ablaze. Scores of wounded and dead heaped together, ours and theirs, like scraps in a butcher's barrel. The wounded shuddering and twitching, waiting to die, alone. Bewildered eyes clawing around trying to find some meaning in what's happened. Some sob pitifully, others scream and swear, cursing the injustice and indignity of it all. An obscenity no eye should ever have to see. One poor fellow's residing hickory dickory dock and laughing like a lunatic. Another is begging God for forgiveness. One is calling out to his wife, another in German and to his mother. One sad figure sits alone, propped up by a rifle, patriotically facing his homeland. Poor man died for the Kaiser. Not a yard gained, not a line breached, another meaningless sacrifice for nothing. Trained never to allow feelings of empathy with the enemy gain the upper hand, still Victor feels wretched. The lives he's taken, lives dwelling now only in the memories of those who loved and killed them. I imagine them waking, mum, breakfasting, discussing families and sweethearts, studying photographs, fondling heirlooms and good luck charms, praying, shaking hands with pals and preparing mentally to go over the top. And I ended all that. But I've been wounded too, Mum. Wounded in soul and spirit. A wound I fear that will never heal. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, killing for God, King and country. Am I, Mum? Your loving son? Five kisses. Kiss, 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 kiss. As always, Victor. But these words never leave Victor's mind. Wouldn't get past the censor anyway. Roll call is always the hardest part of battle. Everyone on edge, looking around for mates who might not be there. Barely 100 lined up today, from 918 who left for the front a few weeks ago. Every time a familiar name comes up, our stomachs tighten. And when silence follows, so often, it's like a bayonet in the guts. Name. Silence. Name. The young cove I hardly knew, training to be a draftsman. Silence. The flick of the officer's pencil recording this statistic hits me like a bus. Men sob openly as name after name brings silence. And I feel a cold fury building within me, seeking a point to the sacrifice. Another futile stunt, men killed, maimed and disfigured, families ruined, our side and theirs. For what? The teacher. The orchardist. The plasterer. The farm labourer. The carpenter. The wool classer. Ten from our platoon alone, now with the Holy Father. Mostly rookies. Boys. Thrown too young into the fray. Nothing short of murder. We shudder to think of all the good soldiers who've needlessly perished. The hardest of all of these who have simply disappeared. Without trace and now lie mangled and unburied somewhere in no man's land. All along the line I see disgruntled faces men indignant at what our commanders are making us do. 
Nothing we do seems to make any difference. As if we've been abandoned to every bizarre twist of fate for no known reason. Have completely lost control of our lives, are worthless and forgotten in a world gone mad. But there's nothing we can do about it short of refusing to help our comrades. And no one's going to do that. God help us. Heads are down when the commanding officer tells us over 500 enemy have been killed and 70 captured. No one reacts, scarcely taking in a word. That anyone is still standing seems more remarkable. Around me, I feel the battalion's morale deflating like a punctured tyre. What do those brass hats take us for? Vic! Vic! Huh? Uh, present, sir. Given two days' leave, the boys wander into a meadow and sprawl out on the grass, soaking up the sun, trying to do as little as possible, especially with the mind. I can feel anxiety peeling off me like a snakeskin. Battle thunder in my head is fading, and I can hear things again. A lark trilling, the click and buzz of insects. It's hot, and so we cool off in the Somme River. Wading into the sluggish jade-green stream, we cling to the fronds of willow trees and let the current carry us around an island into a lacework of tiny lagoons. Lingering in one, utterly alone. A rare experience in the war. We float on our backs and daydream about home. Galloping bareback in the bottom paddock on Mad Meg the Palomino. Me, flat strap on the bay, half a length behind. Gazing out across Cook's River from the farmhouse veranda. The way it meanders in from Botany Bay. Through the marshes. The Norfolk Pines, Sally Waddle and Sheo. And in your dad's clinker. Rollocks squealing. Midstream on the outgoing tide. Past the wool washes and tanneries on Alexandra Canal. <laughs> the pong of it. Chinese market gardens spread like quilts along Cup and Saucer Creek. The nuns' caves on the bend where the Clydesdale horses from the co-op bakery graze. Coming up to Undercliff Bridge. The tram from Circular Quay clanking into the terminus. Cables flashing. Picnickers streaming off and heading for the mini golf. Up Nanny Goat Hill we go. The rainforest gully where the tree ferns stand to attention on parade. And the big gum tree in the lilypilly glade that grows through a crack in a sandstone ledge. That you said looked like a vagina. And shocked. You because you'd never seen one. But I asked for God's forgiveness. Then begged me to take you to Sharky's Corner where the nudists swim so you could see one. And haven't seen one since. <laughs> Rambling through wooded hills along the river, as far as the pretty village of Suzanne, crouching on the bank adoring its reflection. The war's a million miles away. There are wild cherry trees in there. And we're up those like monkeys, settling on a bough to feast. But they're too sour. So we find raspberries in cooler parts and feast on those instead. Then wade into the river to pick blackberries, dangling in fat bunches from the bank. These blackberries take some beating, Cole. But I reckon the ones up from Undercliff Bridge back home are just as good. All gone, Vic. Mum told me. The land resumed for industrial use by the government. Oh, there'll be factories from Tempe Station along Woolite Creek before you can say Jack Robinson. Victor says nothing wading waist-deep in the Somme River, feasting on blackberries, the enemy somewhere just upstream, pondering the irony of risking his life to free an occupied foreign land, while on the other side of the world, great god progress lays siege to every boyhood haunt, obliterating all his memories. My darling boy, 
there is little or no news to tell. We are all in good health, thanks God, and that, after all, is the best of everything. Somewhere in France. Dear Mother, Things are much the same over here, but the weather is not so bad. The rain has eased off for a while, but still plenty of it. I'm always praying to God to keep you, my dear boy, to keep you from harm. That is all that is left to us now. I could go into a lot of detail about things, Mother, but we're forbidden to say very much. I'm still keeping well, and I hope you and all at home are the same. I'm so pleased, dear boy, that you keep in such good health. You seem to be keeping all right by the photo you sent. My dear, I sent you a little parcel a short while ago. I hope you get it. It might lighten your load a little. Mother, you'll be pleased to know I've received your excellent parcel. I would have got it long before, only my unit has been moving about a bit. Well, my dear, Olivia has been six months now at Dame Nellie Melba's Academy in Melbourne and is getting on all right. And it has all been thanks to you. It was a lovely parcel. It was quite early in the morning. We were all seated around an old fire pot, talking as it happened. We were leaving for the line soon. Through your kindness, my burden has been a lot lighter. But for you, she would not be any nearer to success. But some day she will pay us back twofold, I hope. I was as stiff as a poker. No cigarettes, no nothing. So you can guess, Mother, that parcel came in very handy. I do hope this awful war is going to end soon. Oh, what a day of rejoicing it will be in the world for us all. And I was very glad to find a photo of you. In fact, it was a bit of a surprise to me. My word, it was a decent parcel. Everybody commented on it. A yellow pyjama case and an umbrella. Just what we need over here. My heart simply longs night and day for you to come back to me. And I do trust God so that he will spare you to us. I hope I'm not asking too much. Well... Mother, don't forget to send another parcel as soon as you can. It's pretty sure to get me now. You keep on going strong till we all return. So, my darling boy, I will close now. Good night, and God watch between thee and me until we meet again. With best love from all at home and heaps of love and kisses from your ever-loving and affectionate poor old mother. Poor old mother commends me to God's care and asks him to watch over me. Again. Well, I do love you, Mum, but if I survive this bloodbath, it'll be because I've been lucky and my mates have looked out for me, not, I think, because of some divine intervention at your behest. And what does pay us back mean? Aren't I the one sending remittances? Forgive me, Mother, these dreadful thoughts and resentments. It's the war wearing me down, sapping my spirit. Nothing more. Goodbye, and God bless you all. From your ever-loving son, Victor. Kiss, 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 kiss. A P.S. Remember me to Dad and the girls. Cranky with a chirpy tone and gratuitous God bless, Victor considers tearing up the letter. But off it goes, saying what he wants it to say or not. And that was the first part of One by One, an Anzac radio play by Gary Lewis, following the story of Victor, a young Australian soldier serving on the Western Front in 1917. 
This play is an adaptation of the novel Wounded, a great war novel by Gary Lewis, published in 2013. Lewis wanted the story to be accessible to sight-impaired and print-handicapped people, so he adapted themes from it for radio, and one by one was the result. Victor and Colin have just experienced their first major battle in No Man's Land. What will happen to Victor as the trauma of battle closes in? Let's continue with the final part of One by One, as Victor and Colin march into Belgium. It's a long way to Tumbarumba, it's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tumbarumba, to the greatest mum I know. Hooroo Parramatta, farewell circular key. It's a bloody long way to Tumbarumba, where my mum waits for me. It's the last day of September, and we're marching into Belgium. The night is ablaze with fire. Watch out! A salvo of 5.9s crashes down either side of the track. Horses lunge and bolt. Drivers, some bleeding badly, struggle to control them. Others jump off and run away, leaving vehicles to career out of control. Troopers, fit and maimed, blunder in darkness through thick mud. Some are knocked down and trampled on by terrified beasts. The screams of men and animals, terrible in the night. Leaping off the boards, we take cover in a crate. It's already home to two dead men. So caked in mud, it's impossible to tell what unit, what army they're from. They're flat on their backs, holding hands, gazing up at the night sky like lovers planning the future. At least they didn't die alone, Vic. God rest their souls. Now we're filing through the ruins of Ypres, that city of fear where you never know what's going to come at you or from what direction. It's a ghost town, a smoking heap of rubble. One crumbling tower and a few pockmarked walls, all that remain of the cathedral and cloth hall. Once architectural marvels of medieval Europe. Only the sight of a flock of pigeons tumbling around the few high points left. Defiant, living creatures, bonded forever to home, never yielding to violence or tyranny. Salvage is the scene from utter despair. Passing through the lions of Menengate, that portal of death for so many, we walk single file along a canal surrounding the city walls. Swans glide beside us, touting for food, but wheedle precious little from our dismal lot. Our hearts sink when we see our row of mouldy tents squatting like puffed-up toads in a muddy field exposed to aerial attack. A violent electrical storm vies with the rumble of heavies up in the salient while we make camp imagining the terrible conditions those poor souls being mangled out there are facing. It rains incessantly and, confined to our tents, we're gripped by an awful sense of impending doom. The boredom is crippling, gnawing at your resolve, tempting you to do impulsive, reckless things, simply to break the monotony. I find comfort only in the good book and in prayer. Mail arrives, a sure sign the brass hats are going to pitch us back into the butcher shop. My darling boy, trusting you will... My darling son, there is little or no... My own darling son, just a line to say we are all well at home and trusting that my boy is, is likewise. 
I just received your letter and I was so glad to hear you were all right. Well, my dear, it will soon be Christmas and still the war goes on. We never thought that it would be so long till we should see each other again. This is the terrible part of war. God help us, but my darling, I console myself that it'll all be over soon and we will see your smiling face again, for I know that God is good. Well, my dear, I hope you get the parcel I sent you in time for this Christmas. I sent it a lot earlier this time. I am sorry you do not get my letters more regular, as I often forget to write to you in every mail that goes out, and they take lots of letters from us, and I cannot understand why you do not get them. You get them all in a bunch, I dare say. Well, my dear, our thoughts are with you, so now I will draw to a close. With love from all at home to our darling brother Victor, and best love and kisses from your loving mother and dad. God bless you always. A mother's prayer is everlasting. Five kisses, my darling boy. Five kisses. There's the blinding flash. Men lunge everywhere in the dark, colliding. Victor leaps to his feet. Something hard smashes into his face, knocking him down. Flat on his back, suffocating under sheets of wet canvas, he kicks frantically to dislodge a weighty object, pinning him to the floor. <laughs> Nearly asphyxiating, he finally boots the object off, and struggling to get free, gasping for air, glimpses through a gaping hole in the tent roof, searchlights dancing on the ascending tail of a giant silver plane. In a sweep of searchlight, I glimpse something on the floor. No! No, it can't be! No, Colin, Colin! A fountain of blood is gushing from Colin's chest and his blue eyes are blinking, incredulously, at Victor. No! The thing I just kicked away, Colin! He cradles Colin in his arms and with no idea of what else to do, starts murmuring the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. A sergeant rushes in, roaring at him to get up and help stretcher bearers. But Victor doesn't move, nursing Colin, clinging to his hand. My kingdom come. Colin's eyes flicker and roll. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Victor watches helplessly as his dear friend slips away. Entering a good place, Col, I know. For yours is an abiding faith. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, the sergeant bellows at Victor to leave the dead and get up and help the living. The hardest order I ever had to follow is that one. See ya, mate. See ya. Releasing Colin's hand and gently laying him down, Victor stands, salutes, pushes his way from the ruined tent and out into the bedlam of the burning night. Fathers known of old, Lord of the far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, 
thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone. Fourteen bodies line the grave on their final parade, sacrificed on the altar of brass hat indifference to our well-being. Everyone is crying now, unashamedly hard-fighting men. Short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. The space normally occupied by Colin is immense, with so many other ghosts lined up today. We're seething with resentment at being dumped in that paddock and needlessly losing mates. It's one thing feeling helpless, but another feeling worthless. And I feel both. With no control over anything, pitchforked pointlessly into every hotspot going and stuck out in the open for Fritz to bomb at will. He that believeth in the Lord, even though he is dead, yet shall he live. I try diverting my mind from the grief with thoughts of happy days with Colin. Strutting along the day, we enlisted, bright as buttons, sun streaking his wheaten hair, bursting with energy and optimism, nonchalantly laughing our way to this butcher shop. Mates forever. But it doesn't work. Whosoever believes in the Lord and gives his life like the Lord shall never die. Guilt turns to anger, and anger, rage. I speak with God, but not as Colin would wish, calling him an sanity for this death and destruction and stealing my dearest friend away, his most faithful disciple. Fury at God because hatred of an enemy who has struck Colin down. How I loathe Kaiser Bill for the death and suffering he's caused Colin. Colin, can you hear me? Nothing will ever be the same. Prayer is difficult for me, you know that, mate. But I swear as God is my judge. Only two things matter now. My determination to get through this in one piece and to punish an enemy who's taken your life. Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. We commend to Almighty God our brothers and we commit their bodies to the ground. Two mice are playing hide and seek, darting over the bodies. One scampers onto Colin and settles there, preening its whiskers. Colin! Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, Dust to dust. Still not believing Colin's death. Even in the very act of burying him. I watch the mice seek shelter as clods of earth tumble heartlessly down upon them and Belgium claims Colin, mice and my fallen comrades. Forever.
A rumour is running with the rats that we're about to be involved in a big attack. And the betting is we'll again be deployed as a decoy to hold the line while some other outfit mounts the assault. We're sick of being a diversion. Set up like ducks in a shooting gallery. And hope the rumour is wrong, but it isn't. They're sending us up to Passchendaele. Right on cue, mail arrives. It really niggles now. Receiving letters and parcels from loved ones just before a stunt. It happens often enough to make us cynical about the brass hat's intentions, as if they're manipulating our emotions. My darling son. Mother? I'm writing once again to say I have not had a letter for a very long time. Mother, please, no reprimands. Not now, Colin's gone. I pushed him away, Mum, when he needed me most, just like I rejected Jesus every time he tried to bring me to him. What if I hadn't panicked and kicked out so? What if I'd helped him and staunched the bleeding? Why him, Mum? The best of us all. Why not me? I suppose you have written and they've got lost like the ones we sent you. We're about to go out to Passchendaele. Forgive me, Mother, there's too much happening. I try to make sense of it all, but it all seems pointless. I'm at odds with everything now, an outsider, in an army where it's my duty to be regimented. I've allowed a gulf to develop between us, nursing a silly grudge. I'm flawed and faithless, Mum. I know that. Nothing I do confers any meaning or grace upon a worthless life. The only way out seems... You know... Do you hear what I'm saying, Mum? God knows I hate myself for thinking this way, but with so much death and destruction, the thought of never seeing you again is hard to take, especially when I recall how much you wanted me here. Oh, my darling boy, it is enough to drive you crazy. All those miles away and cannot get a line from one another, only now and again. I know I've been neglectful. I'm really sorry. But it's been nearly three years and still the war goes on with no end in sight. No one cares about what they're doing anymore. We're fed up and sick to heart. I've almost given up on ever seeing you again, or Dad, or Olivia. Everyone who ever meant anything to me now just fading memories. The heavy guns have seen to that. Caring for everyone is too painful, Mum. Hoping and wishing I'll return while all the time believing in my heart I never will. Things are in a terrible state here now with the strikes. Strikes? They might have left it until after the war. It started with the performance card being introduced and now nearly all the trades are out. Well, we're over here. Darling, how I'm longing for you to come home to me. Oh, how I pray to God it won't be long now till this cruel war is over. But it just goes on and on devouring every sacrifice made in its name and slavering for more. The only life it cares about, its own. I sent you a Christmas parcel some time ago. I trust you will get it in good time this year. Thank you, Mother. I look forward to that. Another Christmas. And, my dear, the Bonds of Undercliff are sending you a parcel. When you read it, I want you to send them a nice letter thanking them. That is, if you ever receive it. Things are so uncertain now. Yes, Mother. I promise to thank them as soon as, you know, when I receive it. Well, my dear, Olivia is still in Melbourne and, and getting on splendid with the singing. What about my boy? Do you still sing or is all the singing knocked out of you? I hope not. No, I still sing, Mother. From time to time, after a few sherbets with the boys, 
the few left. Whenever I can get my fingers on the ivory, but nothing serious. I did think you would be home long before this. Oh, how we all miss you, darling. May God in his mercy send you back to us all again. Yes, God in his mercy. I'll do my best, Mum. Please tell Dad I've got not forgotten what he told me boarding the ship in Sydney. Discretion is a better part of valour, and never go bull at a gate. It's kept me alive so far. <laughs> well, dear, I hope I hear from you soon, as it seems terrible hard to bear not getting any letters. I keep on writing to you, dear. I hope you get my letters. Yes, I do, Mother. Some of them, and I try to reply. Sometimes in my mind, it's the, it's the war. That's why I can't write. All the good words have been knocked out of me. It isn't anything between us. I'm sorry your poor heart aches, but I never have anything bright to say and I won't lie to you. Well, darling boy, I close with heaps of love and kisses from your fond and loving mother. Good night and God bless and keep you from all harm. Good night, mother. Please remember, whatever happens, whatever, I love you and dad and never, ever forget that. This is Sunday night, love. All my thoughts are of you, dear boy. Try and send a line every mail, darling. Masses of kisses. And kisses from me, Mum. Five kisses forever. Tramping on cobblestone in Ypres, the battalion again passes through men and gates. At Hellfire Corner, the appalling stench of bloated horse and mule carcasses, still harnessed to capsized wagons and wallowing on a bog, nearly brings every man unstuck. Swallowed by darkness, the men tramp through a shattered wood, stumbling over tree stumps and slithering into shell holes where pools of mustard gas lurk. Arriving at a busy crossroad, they pass the walking wounded, wandering empty-eyed from the night like a legion of the damned, knowing they'll look like that on the way back, if they're lucky. Gas starts arriving, an officer yells to put on masks. And we don them. Like death skulls they are with their goggle-eye sockets and cylindrical respirators for mouths. Only sick minds would be doing this to us, Cole. Ramming us into the meat grinder, hearts still beating. Minds that have lost all contact with compassion and human decency. Heaving knee-deep through gripping mud, suffocating. They finally lose patience with guides who don't seem to have a clue where they're going and tear off the masks. Normally we wouldn't do such a thing, but it's unbearable inside them. Fortunately, the risk of gassing has passed. A blazing red and white crescent shimmers around Ypres, and in this grotesque fairyland, the ghost town of Zonibik hovers like an apparition on silver sheets of water, polka-dotted with the bodies of fallen men. Heaving forward like beasts of the field, aching for life, fighting back tears or wild with rage, Victor and his comrades slither up a slope towards the village of Passchendaele and collapse into support trenches. The trench is like a tomb. It might as well be one. 
I'm so tired. I just want to close my eyes and never open them again. The night is ablaze with hatred. Heavy artillery preparing the ground for Canadians on our left, who are going to have a crack at the village. As usual, we're the decoy, but the Germans don't know this, and they hammer us mercilessly. The deadliest, most concentrated bombardment I've ever known. Mine's so full of noise, it wants to explode too. I call God every profanity I can think of, detesting myself for implying in blasphemy his existence. What fatal flaw in humanity has brought us to this abomination? How can we plumb these depths of evil? I see the bleeding stare of men struggling with the demons of war for their sanity. I see men slowly retreating into that lonely place where the bewildered go to die. I see debris and shrapnel and dirt and equipment and helmets and boots and cooking gear and bits of men hurtling out of boiling black clouds of smoke. I see exhausted bearers with saintly expressions on their faces wading through clinging mud to pick up mangled bodies and carry out screaming casualties, begging someone to explain why this has happened to them. This is it, Cole. Just hanging on again. You know how it is, mate. Escape this time seems impossible. How could a loving God ever permit such a thing? And if he did, I never could love him. But maybe it is like you say. God forging a kingdom of heaven on earth and we're the anvil. You used to think that, didn't you? That it was a privilege to gift your life for such a dream. To offer up your body as a living sacrifice to the good Lord, one by one. My father never recovered from the Great War. Scarred physically and emotionally for the rest of his life until, once again, he answered the call and re-enlisted with Colin and all his digger mates, lest we forget. The Bohemian Beat. I'm Riddy, and we just heard a special production of One by One by Gary Lewis, presented by the Bohemian Beat in conjunction with the Drill Hall Theatre Company and SAE Creative Media Institute. We are proud of this creative alliance that has brought to life a very important part of Australian history, lest we forget. The part of Victor was played by Jeff Moon, Colin by Mike Rosso, the mother by Georgia Martin, the chaplain by Peter Goff, and the narrator was Gary Lewis. 
One by One was written by Gary Lewis, directed by Mike Rosso and produced by Riddy. Music by Paul McArath. Audio recording, post-production by Scaria Sopul, James Patterson, Simon Goodwin and Remy Munro. Mastering by James Patterson, designed by Matt Brady. Special thanks to SAE Creative Media Institute in Byron Bay for use of studio space, the students and also Jill Mooney. And of course, to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia and Bay FM for bringing diversity directly to your ears. Well, that's all we have time for today on The Bohemian Beat. I hope you've enjoyed our Anzac special which is available for your listening pleasure on our website, thebohemianbeat.com. The Bohemian Beat will be back next week. Same beat time, same bohemian frequency. We will end with a track by the Furies and Davy Arthur called The Green Fields of France. Thank you for joining me on The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. Do, young Willie McBride Do you mind if I sit here Down by your graveside And rest for a while Need the warm summer sun I've been walking all day And I'm nearly done I see by your gravestone You are only nineteen when you joined the Great Fallen in 1916 I hope you died well and I hope you died clean Our young Willie McBride was it slow and obscene Did he beat the drums slowly, did he play the fife slowly, did they sound the death march as they lowered you down And did the band play the last post and chorus Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest Did you leave a wife or a sweetheart behind In some faithful heart is your memory enshrined Although you died back in 1916 In that fateful heart Are you forever 19? Or are you a stranger without even a name Enclosed them forever behind the glass frame? In an old photograph Torn, battered and stained And faded to yellow In the brown leather frame Did he beat the drum slowly? Did he play the fine slowly? Did I sound the death march As they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? And did the pipes play the flowers of the forest?
the sun, now it shines on the green fields of France. There's a warm summer breeze that makes the red poppies dance. And look how the sun shines from under the clouds. There's no gas, no barbed wire, there's no gun firing now. But here in this graveyard, it's still no man's land. The countless white crosses stand mute in the sand. To man's blind indifference to his fellow man. To a whole generation that were butchered and damned. Did he beat the drums slowly? Did he play the five lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? And did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the fall? My young Willie, my bride, I can't help wonder why To those that lie here, know why did they die? And did they believe when they answered the call? Did they really believe that this war would end war? Well, the sorrow, the suffering, the glory the pain, the killing and dying were all done in vain. For young Willie McBride, it all happened again, and again and again and again and again. Did they beat the drum slowly, did they play the five lowly, did they sound the death march? As they lowered you down Did the band play the last post and chorus Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest Did they beat the drums slowly Did they play the five slowly Did they sound the death march As they lowered you down did the band play the last post in chorus? And did the pipes play the flowers of the fall? I dreamed kind Jesus fouled the big gun gears and caused a permanent stoppage in all boats and buckled with a smile Mausers and coats and rusted every bayonet with his tears. And there were no more bombs of ours or theirs, not even an old flintlock, nor even a pikel. But God was vexed and gave all power to Michael. And when I woke, he'd seen to our repairs.